Well, today is the last in this mini-series we have called God Never Said That. And what we've been doing there during this time is talking about ventriloquism, basically that we have these human thoughts and these human ideas and we project them and we try to put them in God's mouth as if he said it and yet God never said that. And the idea that we're going after today is this, clouds, harps, and angel wings kind of a catch-all collection, a summary grouping. And the idea is this, that when we die, we go to heaven, and what that means is we float on a cloud, we play a harp, and we all get angel wings. Except that God never said that. God never said that. And so let's take just a moment and talk about uh, some ideas that we have as people that we've tried to project and put in God's mouth about the eternal state that God never said. So for example, the idea that we are disembodied souls floating around out there. God didn't say that. Plato did. That actually comes from Platonic philosophy. The idea there is there is a great separation between the physical and the spiritual. And the spiritual is good, but the physical is bad. All physical is bad. So go figure, when we die and we pass into the eternal state, we shed everything physical and we are only spiritual. We are disembodied souls. But again, that's platonic philosophy. God never said that. And by the way, aren't you kind of glad that's not true? Hey, here's the deal. For all of eternity, you get to float around as a disembodied soul. Great. Doesn't that sound like fun? Not so much. Not so much. Uh, a second idea is this, that uh, our eternal state, heaven is like, it's like a, a sinful paradise, right? It's like an eternal drunken orgy. That, that's kind of the thought that gets around. Or you'll get like from Islam. Islam has the idea that a guy gets 72 virgins. Pause for a second and think about this. Does that sound like paradise for the 72 virgins? <laughs> you never thought about that, did you, right? No, what that is is domination and oppression, is what that is. That is sin entering heaven. When sin reigns, that's this world right here. If, if sin reigns in heaven, then it's not heaven. It's the broken world we have right now. God never said that. And then there's the idea, I'm sure you guys have heard of like St. Peter and the pearly gates. Sorry to bust your bubble, God never said that. That stuff we came up with, and it's very useful for jokes. Hence, Jim Gaffigan. Yeah, Peter loves my stuff. <laughs> I'm going to be doing a show down near the Pearly Gates later on. Pearly Gates. Am I the only one that finds it odd that heaven has gates? Gates? What kind of neighborhood is heaven in? <laughs> what, you die and you go to a gated community? Are the gates necessary? Yeah, we got a lot of kids sneaking in using the pool. Those gates weren't easy. We had to go down to hell, get a contractor and everything. Think about that. <laughs> hey, I'm a contractor. We have a lot of contractors in our congregation. I left that line in for you guys. Uh, but yeah, that's okay. That's the idea. And, and the thing is that God never said that. Gaffigan did. That's just not Bible right there. And of course, the other idea and the main idea is that when we die, we float on clouds and we play harps and we have angel wings. But God never said that. Listen, the created order, there is the angelic creation and there is humanity. 
And these do not cross over. Angels don't become human and humans don't become angels. We don't become angels. We don't get wings. And what's the bit about the harps? Why harps? We got kick and worship here. Do you ever see a, a harp up there? Like we don't go, like that's a weird one, but evidently we're all playing harps for all eternity. And what the idea there is that for all eternity long, we are singing worship to God. Now, let's be clear. I love worship. I love to worship here. I mean, our band is freaking amazing. I love worshiping here. I say from time to time, if y'all fire me, just let me come because I would just want to worship here. I love it. I love the worship nights we do. Like we're looking forward to once we get past this COVID stuff, we'll have, when we're all back together in here, we'll have another one of our worship nights and just blow the doors off this thing as we dedicate this space. Love it. But here's the problem. Think, would you like to just sing in worship for all eternity long? If we do that, then it loses its specialness. I love Christmas. But if every day is Christmas then Christmas loses its specialness. When every day is Christmas, no day is Christmas. And so, no, we we don't want to worship for all eternity long. After all, have you heard me sing? What if you're on the cloud next to me? That won't be paradise for you. Okay, that will be, maybe God takes a person from hell and puts, no, I don't think that happens anyway. so, So that is not what the Bible speaks about. Now, where do these thoughts come from? Well, first, we have a lot of biblical illiteracy, a lot of biblical ignorance, and so we backfill with our own human ideas and put words in God's mouth. Another place that this comes from is sappy sentiments that are offered at funeral services. I don't mean to step on any toes, but sometimes what will get said is a, at a funeral are things like, uh, he got his wings, and he's looking down on us. He's looking down on us. Okay, time out. Think about this. So you have the majesty, the magnificence of God himself, and you have the beauty of paradise, and, and you're up in heaven, you're going to ignore both of those and just look down on a broken, messy world. That's not true. That's not true. God never said that. So why do those things get said at funeral services? It's because we imagine that those things are comforting to the people who are mourning. And so even though they're not biblically true, we say them anyway. And men and women, that is called pastoral malpractice. We shouldn't do that. I imagine a lot of you are going, I don't think I want him to do my funeral. (laughs) I understand, I understand. Another source of misinformation here is near-death experiences. You know, when somebody almost dies and they say, well, I saw what it was like in heaven and I came back and let me tell you. So what we have is we have the Bible with all this truth that tells us what heaven is like. And then over here we have some five-year-old kid that almost died. And what we say is, nah, not all that stuff. I'm going with the five-year-old. Really? Really? And then another source of misinformation is comic strips like this one from Farside. That one's perfect. I love Farside. I mean, it's, that's just my speed right there. But uh, I love it. Wish I had brought a magazine. Now, that is telling because when we see that, we go, yeah, that's kind of tragic because why? We have no joy in that. We have no excitement in that. We don't think about heaven, therefore, because it's like that. And we don't love it. And we don't long for it. And we don't live for it. We don't want to take other people there. We just don't care about heaven because that's just not very exciting. Here's the good news. God never said that. So let's talk about what God did say. 
If you're interested, I'm going to recommend that you read a book called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. It's probably the best book on this subject. You know, we have a recommended reading section on our website, and this is on, so you can link to it and buy it and, and read it. It's a great read on our eternal state. I'd really recommend it. But what I want to get into is God's Word right now, and we're going to be in Revelation chapter 21. Now, side note, notice what I just said. It's Revelation, singular. It's not Revelations, plural. Please don't embarrass your pastor. Okay, just revelation. And what it is, is the Apostle John was intentionally abandoned on a deserted island, Patmos, as punishment. And while he was there, he received a revelation from God about what it will be like. And he's writing this down. So we're in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5 and 22 through 27. Here's what we read. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter into it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's what God said. That's what God said. Of course, it's a little confusing, isn't it? So what what did God just say? Let's talk about that. What did we just read? Well, one of the things we read right out of the gates was there's a new heaven and a new earth. Did you catch that? This is spoken of in Isaiah 66, 2 Peter chapter 3. Here and there throughout the scriptures, what we understand is we actually don't go to heaven. We go to the new earth. We will live on the new earth. And so sometimes I refer to it, I'll say, in our eternal state or in paradise to kind of sidestep the issue. Now, it's okay that we talk about going to heaven. It's shorthand. We understand now that what we actually know is we will live on the new earth. And that's important because what we, what we know then is that it is a real physical planet just like we're living. It's, it's this, but it's remade. Okay, we live on a, so what we sometimes think is that this world is real, but our eternal state is kind of fuzzy and unreal and dreamlike. No, it's the reverse. That new earth is the most real thing ever. This one is kind of fuzzy and dreamlike. It it, it reflects that one. It's a bad copy of that one. 
So what it'll be like if you've ever gone fishing and you've caught a fish and maybe you're practicing catch and release where you unhook that thing and you put it in the water. You know how when the fish, as soon as it hits the water, it takes off? It's like it gets a jolt of like because it was returned to the environment for which it was created. And so for us, when we're living there, we're like a fish out of water right now. And when you put us back on the new earth, we're going to take off. We're going to come alive. And in that moment, we will awaken as if from a bad dream. Like this, we'll we'll realize this is just like a a kind of a quasi-nightmare. Now there's good parts to it, I get, but that's only as it reflects, as it is a forerunner to the one that is to come, as it foreshadows the new earth. But we'll realize this is kind of a bad dream, and that's the real thing. That's the real thing. So, what we're learning then is that the new earth is much like the current earth or the old earth, but with some very important differences. There will be no sin. There will be the removal of the curse of sin. Now, think of the Garden of Eden. God made the earth and the Garden of Eden for humanity and made humanity for the Garden of Eden. That's what we were made for. And imagine what it was like before sin. That's paradise. That's our home. But very quickly, sin entered the picture and it corrupted everything. It led to broken relationships and sin. It was horrible, right? And so now, what I want you to imagine is this earth. Imagine the new earth, but without any of the bad stuff. I put together a list for you just to tease that out. Look at this. The new earth, there will be no more pollution, litter, rape, murder, Gossip, addiction, homelessness, abuse, bitterness, fighting, oppression, racism, hunger, poverty, pride, gluttony, death, laziness, lying, broken promises, greed, and war. Think how much of that captures our current reality and all that's gone. You know what? There'll be no more 2020. There'll be no COVID. You know what? No masks in heaven. Can I hear amen? (laughs) No masks in heaven. Now, uh, when we talk about the fact that there's no sin in heaven, I got to be very frank with you about something. Usually what we mean is other people won't sin against us. So what I'm really looking forward to is nobody else is doing me wrong in heaven. But that's not true. I got to let you people know, one of the things I most look forward to in heaven is that I get to offload my sin. Isn't it exhausting? I mean, to walk through this broken world in temptation and my propensity towards sin, and I'm carrying that baggage, this broken flesh still hangs on me, and I cannot wait to get home and to offload all that and to finally be free. I can't wait to offload my own sin. That's going to be heaven or the new earth, to be more clear. Now, the curse of sin and that removal is not only a blessing to us as humans, but actually it impacts the entire created order. See, we have too small a view of the gospel. In the gospel, Jesus did not just redeem us, but it is a new earth. He is going to redeem and restore the entire created order. And we get a sniff of that in Romans chapter 8, verses 19 and following. Now, as I read this passage to you, one of the things you're going to see is it's going to talk about creation separately from mankind, from the sons, daughters of God, from the children of God, whatever. You'll see that contrast. So it's creation itself that will get redeemed. Look at this. It says, For the creation waits with eager longing 
for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, it was written 2,000 years ago. We know that's adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. Now what this means is that we were made for earth and earth was made for us. It's just become corrupted and we need the new earth. After all, think, think right now. Picture in your mind the most beautiful landscape you've ever seen. Is it a mountain? Is it a beach? I don't know. Get that in your mind. For me, it's when Shannon and I took our 25th anniversary trip to Ireland and we got to see the Dingle Peninsula. Look at this thing right here. I took these pictures, and the cool thing about preaching is I can force people to look at my vacation pics. Woohoo! That place is just so gorgeous. And when we see places like that, it inspires us, it draws us in, there's awe, our heart leaps. Why? Why? Here's why. We were made for that. We were not made for clouds, harps, and angel wings. That's why our heart leaps at those scenes. We were made for that. But the reality is, the only thing we've known, like, that's a corruption too. We haven't known the real thing yet. We've only seen a bad copy. Did you catch in Revelation 21, when God said that he is going to make all things new? Okay, listen clearly to that. Listen carefully. He's going to make all things new. He didn't say that he's going to make all new things. That'd be clouds, harps, and angel wings. He's not going to make all new things. He's going to make all things new. The new earth is where we are going to live. So think of everything in this world. This world is such a mixture of good and bad, right? Think of everything good in this world, but without all the bad stuff. All the bad stuff is fixed. That would be called the Garden of Eden that we lost. The good news is we get it back. We get it back. And since there were animals in the Garden of Eden, we believe that on the new earth, there will be animals. Granted, not cat. That's called hell. It's a whole different sermon, okay? <laughs> but but there, there will be dogs. There will be lots of dogs in heaven, okay? And, but but let, me, let me help you catch this. You've never seen a dog. You've never seen a dog. You've only seen a corruption of a dog. You've only seen a bad copy of a dog. A warped perversion of a dog. Can you imagine what all those creatures in heaven will look like with the curse of sin removed? We get it back. Now notice also from Romans chapter 8 at the very end of the passage, and you'll see it there, that we get our resurrected bodies. The, the redemption of our bodies. That doesn't mean we get angel wings. We know that already. That's not what it means. It means that we get glorified bodies that are not subject to corruption and disease and death and they don't break down and they don't age. It means that Ricky Boy is going to have a little less gut and a little less gray in, in, for all eternity. I'm looking forward to that, okay? That's going to be a good thing. It'll be kind of like Rick 2.0. It'll be, you'll, you'll recognize it as the, 
the successor of 1.0. So we'll actually recognize each other in heaven, but it will be 2.0. It'll be way better, way better. And one of the things I imagine is that in heaven, we will breathe for the first time. You know how when you have like a head cold and you're all stuffed up and you can't really breathe? And then there's that day when you finally get over it and everything breaks and it's kind of like a snot locker and just fl- and it's gross, I get it. And, but then you get on the other side of that and you do one of these, you go, oh, and we say, I can breathe again, right? I think what's going to happen is we're going to get home to heaven and we're going to breathe for the first time in our lives. And we're going to realize we'd never breathed before. It had always been like a head cold. And I mean this both literally and figuratively, that we will breathe for the first time in our lives. That's what heaven is going to be like, or rather the new earth. All right, so that's what it'll be like. Now, what will we do on the new earth? Well, in, instead of clouds, harps, and angel wings, Jesus frequently spoke about our eternal state as a banquet, a party, a feast. And not just Jesus, you see it in the Old Testament. Like look at Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 and following. It says, on this mountain, notice it talks about a mountain. That's the new earth, it's earth. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. A feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. See, it's feasts, celebrations, and parties. It speaks in there of rich food and of rich food full of marrow. Do you know what kind of food is full of marrow? Steak. You've never tasted a steak. Not a real one, not a good one. And and it talks about well-aged wine, the best wine ever. You've never tasted wine. Okay? Evidently, there's wine in heaven. That means there are no Baptists there, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Um, but, But we have a lot of addicts in our congregation. Listen, addicts, good news. There's no addiction in heaven. We're gonna be okay. We're gonna be okay. It's going to be awesome up there. Awesome. Now, it seems like not only will there be banquets and partying, and it's not up there, it's down here, it's a new earth, but not only is there banquets, but we'll also work. Remember, work came in before sin did, before the fall. We were told we were given the garden mandate to tend the garden. That was to work. But, but then the curse came in. So the only work that we've known is frustrating, and there's futility, and there's fighting. What about when work is just fulfilling? Like, you know, you might have that one friend who like, he's like a hand in a glove with his job. It's like he was made for his job and his job was made for him. And he just, it's like he never actually works, but he gets paid for it. You know that guy? That's what work will be like in heaven. It's just fulfilling. It'll be enjoyable. And then uh, we will have a full life. There'll be art and science and culture and music. There'll be sports and education, barbecues with friends, bike rides. There'll be gardening and coffee. There'll be traveling and adventure. The way we know that is that that, that's what it means to be human, right? That's just being human. So Alcorn in his book points out a little bit of an irony that we come to church and we pretend like we don't like the things of the world because we want to be super spiritual, right? 
And then what happens is as soon as we leave here, we go and get in our cars and we turn on our favorite music. And we go home to a barbecue with friends. And we watch sports. And we go on a bike ride. And what he points out is that we do those things not because we're sinners, but because we're people. Because we're humans. And so imagine the new earth with all that good stuff, but with the curse of sin removed. That's what we're headed for. Someone summed it up in this way and said, we will worship without distraction. We'll serve without exhaustion. Fellowship without fear. Learn without fatigue. And rest without boredom. It's going to be a good time. Does it sound awesome? All right. I haven't even told you the best part yet. See, the gem of heaven is not our resurrected bodies. It's not what it looks like. It's not our friends and family that are saved, that are there with us. It's, it's not the, the paradise around us or anything like that. It's not what we do. To get at the gem of heaven, John Piper had a great question, and I want you to hear this. He says, the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw and all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ was not there? See, the gem of heaven is God himself. He's the centerpiece. He's the focus. And you understand, like, we, we don't react to that the way we should. You understand, God is not just better than us. God is the source of everything good. God is not just more holy than us. God is holiness itself. God is not just more beautiful than us. He is beauty. God is not just more loving than us. He is the source of all love. God is not just more alive than us. He is the source of life. He's amazing. And he's right there. And we interact with him face to face in a way we've never experienced. Now, that causes a little bit of fear in us, doesn't it? And the reason that does is because we still have the stain of sin. And so to go in the presence of a holy God is a little bit scary, but that will be removed, and now it will just be perfect fellowship with the most perfect being ever. And the Dingle Peninsula has nothing on God. Nothing. We will be in awe to stare at him. And that's why Revelation 21, did you catch where it said, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. It's an amazing, awesome thing. And so to tease that out, Sam Storns, he's a theologian, he, he put it this way. He said, we will constantly be more amazed with God, more in love, and thus ever more relishing his presence and our relationship with him. Our experience of God will never reach its consummation. We will never finally arrive as if upon reaching a peak, we discover there's nothing beyond that. No. Our experience of God will never become stale. It will deepen, develop, intensify, amplify, unfold, and increase, broaden, and balloon. God is the gem of heaven. He's the focus of heaven. What I mean by that is heaven will be constant worship. I hope you didn't mishear me there. It'll be constant worship. It won't be constant singing. 
becomes so whether we're singing or playing or working or feasting, it will be constant worship of the God who is right there. It'll be glorious. So Alcorn summed it up in this way. He said it'll be a resurrected life in a resurrected body with a resurrected Christ on a resurrected earth. That's what we're headed for. That's what we're made for. Not clouds, harps, and angel wings. God never said that. That's what we're headed for. So, with all that in our pocket, then what should we do? I want to give you a few suggestions on what we should do. Number one, I would really encourage you to get and read Alcorn's book called Heaven. Now, when you get it, and you're going to get a little bit more up to speed on some things that other people aren't aware of, please don't be the thought police, right? Like when somebody says, I can't wait to go home to heaven, you go, well, actually, (laughs) we're going to the new earth, not heaven, buddy. Like, don't be that guy, right? Don't do that. Now, if somebody's humble and teachable and and coachable and you want to pour into them and disciple them, that's good. But don't just be strutting your stuff and showing it off, okay? But my first suggestion is that you read Heaven by Alcorn. My second suggestion about Heaven, or the New Earth rather, is that you make sure you're actually going to be there. That seems important, right? That seems really important to me. So in Alcorn's book, he talks about a tombstone in Indiana that's really there. And on the tombstone, they had etched these words. It says, pause, stranger, when you pass me by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. It's pretty deep, right? So somebody with a large amount of wit came by and took something and scratched some words underneath it on the tombstone. And it now ends with this. To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. (laughs) That's, That's pretty good. That's pretty good. You see, because the Bible is clear, heaven's not a given. There are two possible destinations for every human being, and you need to make sure that you're going to the new earth. How do you get there? Revelation 21 talked about being, having your name written in the Lamb's book of life. It is quite clear. It is not about how hard we work to serve God. That's not it. It is about the work of Christ on the cross on our behalf. But that doesn't apply to everyone, only to the ones whose name are, are written in the Lamb's book of life. How do you get there? Well, you must repent of your sin. Remember, this world was pretty good. And then we broke it with our sin. And so you have to be a person that has turned from your sin, turned from your sin and turned and run toward the gem of heaven himself to run to God and to let him be the gem of your life. He is the one who made you. He is the one for whom you were made. And it's all about a relationship with him, not a religion. That's why heaven sounds pretty... Hey, who's excited about doing religion for all eternity? Not so much. Who's excited about a relationship with the perfect God for all eternity? You see that? That's different. And so what I want to disabuse you of is the idea that you're going to get a get-into-heaven-free card that you'll throw on the table down the road when, when you die. That's not it. Instead, it's not then, but it's now. It's a new life now. It's eternal life now. It's kingdom life now. It's loving God now. It's living for God now. And if that's who you are and what you're about, then you will enjoy the new earth then. Make sure you're going there. Make sure you're going there. Third suggestion is this. Let's take as many people with us as possible. 
I mean, the new earth, does it sound just amazing? Don't you want everyone you know to go with you there to be with God? So, yes, we should. But then the question is, why are we so unmotivated to tell people about Jesus? Well, Pastor Rick, telling people about Jesus is awkward. So? Maybe you're waiting for someone else. That's all I've got. So? Like in light of eternal realities, it might be worth it. might be worth it. All right, fourth and final suggestion is that we put our hope in the new earth, not the old earth. And if we're honest, we don't. We just don't. And the reason we don't is because we have thus far thought of our eternal state as clouds, harps, and angel wings. Yawn, boring, gross. Who cares about it? I don't. So we don't get excited about heaven. We don't think about heaven. We don't long for it, look forward to it, and live for it. We just don't. Instead, what we do is we put our hope in this world. But it is a fallen, broken, crappy world. And then we get all surprised when the fallen world acts fallen, when the broken world acts broken, and we get all upset about it. Maybe, maybe we're not supposed to put our hope in the broken one, but in the new one. That's what we should be doing. In fact, that's reflected in the scriptures. And I just want you to know, listen, I know life in this world is hard. Life in this world is 2020. Right now, right? Like, it's hard. And yet I don't want you to lose heart in the midst of it. Listen to this out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Last passage we'll look at. It says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Don't put your hope in transient, temporary, wasting away, passing away, broken, fallen stuff. Put your hope in the perfect, in the eternal, and live for that. One of the things I, I'll leave you with is I, I want, I, I'd love to train us, and I still do it at times, but I want to train us to stop using the word afterlife. Have you done that? Like, let's talk about the afterlife. Okay, understand what that implies. This here is life. That's the afterlife, like an afterthought. See that? That's not the reality. That's life. That's what we're made for. That's life. That's eternal life. That's real life. This is the pre-life. This is the before life. That's what we're made for. Okay? And when we get there, we run into the arms of our Savior, and we're like a fish in water in his presence. And, and so to him, I want to pray right now. Bow your heads with me. Father in heaven, thank you very, very, very much for what you have prepared for us. We admit before you, we did not earn it. You gave us Eden and we broke it. And, and, and instead of making us earn it back, you earned it for us on the cross through Christ. And that is why when we get home to heaven, all glory and all honor and all praise will go directly to you for you've done it. And you're glorious and majestic and we can't wait to get there and yet the reality is, Father, 
we forget these things. We let our human misunderstandings and misinformation, we put those words in your mouth and we think it's clouds, harps, and angel wings and we're just not excited about eternity. Wash our mind, wash our perspective so that we would live our life now and then focus on the gem of heaven, you yourself. Loving you and living for you and getting excited and getting ready for eternity with you. Father, we look forward to the new earth and we pray for that in Christ's name. Amen.